about what to speak on in the in the coming season. And um, something that really struck me, and bear in mind I was having these thoughts back in the summer, okay? I was thinking, you know, I feel like things are getting so complicated. And I'm like, is that just me because I'm getting old? Is that just a, a getting old thing? Or is it that life... Who said yes? That was Rob Jones, wasn't it? I've got to be nice to him though, because he can turn me off. Anyway. Yeah, I, I am, we're all getting older. And you, Rob. We're all getting older, but it feels like things are so much more complicated than they were. I mean, yeah, I am old enough to know that when... You know, when I was a kid, we used to have one telephone in the house and it was attached to the wall. And when you dialed anybody, you had to go like that. <laughs> well, it's about ten minutes. And now I, I still have a phone, but it's attached to me instead of the wall. And uh, it's a phone. It, it tells me, you know, I can ring people up on it. I'm just trying to get it to recognise me because I want to do so. Yeah, okay. I, I can ring people up on it. Yeah, I can also message them in many different ways. I can take photos of you all if I wanted to. I can tell the time, not just here, but in any city in the world. It wakes me up in the morning with an alarm. If I'm making a cake, it times how long it's in the oven. If I want to drive anywhere, it'll tell me which way to go. If I want to park on a car park, sometimes it'll let me pay, sometimes it won't. But anyway, we won't go there. I can read the Bible, not just one version, but many versions. It tells me that it's Sunday, September the 11th. I have contact details on there. I can book holidays. I can see how much money there is in my bank account. I can buy a lot of things. That's quite dangerous, isn't it? It tells me that the weather is currently 15 degrees and foggy. Or well, you can just look out the window and work that one out yourself. <laughs> I can play music. I can talk to it. It's called Siri. Hi, Siri. Uh, mm -hmm. She talks back. Good morning. What can I do for you? <laughs> I'm going to turn it off now because <laughs> it could go horribly wrong. But you know... That is just a little bit of an almost example of how complicated and complex life has become. And when we look at our world, and like I say, I was thinking of this over the summer. I was thinking about climate change. Something that some people still don't believe is a thing, and yet there seems to be evidence of it. There's war in Europe. We thought that was something that was history. We've all been through COVID. I mean, we used to play, we have a board game called Pandemic. And we used to play it, but we don't do it anymore because somehow it's just not fun anymore. It's too, <laughs> it's too near the mark. We've got a global economy. One thing happens in one place and it impacts not just us, but it impacts all over the place. The strikes that are going on at the moment in almost the 1970s each, and yet the Cold War kind of thing feels like the 1980s combined. It's, do you ever wish you could strip it all back and simplify things? What is really important? What's actually at the root? What is foundational? And so while I'm speaking over this next season, the next three times that I speak, I'm going to be sharing some thoughts based on a very famous chapter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And it's chapter 13, it's very often quoted, 1 Corinthians 13, 
It's often quoted at weddings, actually. But I'm going to read from verse 8 to the end of the chapter just now. It says, Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just also as I am known. Now remain faith, hope and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And Paul's talking about spiritual gifts and about, obviously, in the church context, you know, there's, there's knowledge going about and there's prophecy going about and, and, you know, it's perhaps getting complicated. <laughs> and maybe he's trying to cut through all of that and say, you know what, we only know in parts. We don't know everything. We don't understand everything. But there's three things that remain. There are three things that are important and they are faith, they are hope and they are love. And so we're going to think about those things over the next few times that I speak. So today I'm going to start by talking about the subject of faith. Mm. What is faith? The writer to the Hebrews, and we don't know who that is, by the way, or was, sorry. But it wrote chapter 11, a lot of stuff about faith. And I'm going to read verse 1 because it says... To answer to the question, what is faith? It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is substance and it's evidence. So when something has substance, we know that it's real, don't we? There's something about it. It's not just a, a fleeting thought or a wish. There's, there's something about it that has some substance to it, if you know, and evidence. Evidence proves that something is true. You know, when there's crimes being committed, the police turn up with their, their blue and white tape and they wind it all the way around the crime scene and they, they start looking for evidence, sometimes DNA. Was that person who everyone said is the perpetrator, were they there? Is their DNA here? We're looking for evidence. It's something firm and solid that will stand up in a court of law and say, yes, so-and-so was in that place when the crime took place. They are guilty. Hebrews 11 goes on to say in verse 6, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is really important. It's a, without faith it's impossible to please God. Not it's really difficult or it's quite hard. It's impossible to please God without faith. We have to have some substance, some evidence, something inside of us of, that's evidence of what we believe. It says when we come to God, we have to believe that he is. We have to believe that he exists. Well, who is he? He is what? God says, he says, I am. He's almighty, he's all-powerful, he's all-sustaining, all-knowing, all places at the same time. 
Jesus was God and as um, Nod already encouraged us to speak out some of the things, I heard some of these words, you know, he's our good shepherd, the light of the world, the bread of life, the way, the truth and the life, the resurrection and the life, he's the door, he's the vine. So we have to, when we come to God, have some kind of acknowledgement somewhere that he is who he says that he is. You may not have experienced all of those things, but there needs to be something inside that says, I believe that he is. And also there needs to be this idea that he rewards those who seek him. You see, faith believes that whatever the question is, Whatever the need is, the answer is in him. He is the answer. He is the rewarder. God is fundamentally good. So when we come to him, if we're going to please him, we have to have something inside of us that says, yes, I believe that God you are who you say you are, and I believe that in coming to you, you will reward me because I am seeking you. So that's okay, but what happens if you feel like, well, I don't think I've got faith. Or I'm not really sure I've got very much faith. How do I please God? You know, having faith is in some ways part of being human. I think we all have faith. Now hold with me a bit, because some of you might be thinking all sorts of things at that moment. But we all live our lives with an element of faith. Just stay with me. You've come in today, you've sat down on a chair. Did any of you go, oh, not sure about that chair. Mm-hmm. Put a few pounds on the last few days, don't know if that chair's going to hold my weight. What if that chair, that chair was okay last week, but you know, metal over time gets weaker, is that chair going to be okay? That is bizarre, isn't it? We don't do that. We don't live like that. We, do, we take so many things in our lives by faith. Not faith in God, coming to that. But by faith, we take certain things in our lives. So, and, and there's people who, obviously, many people who say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't have faith. Well, they do have faith. They're just putting their faith in whatever particular belief system they think is the right one. And that might be, there's nothing there at all. It's still a belief system, that is still what they believe. And that's where they're putting, if you like, their trust for their life, their hope for their life, in the, there's nothing there. They still have that something inside that is convinced, has some kind of substance and is convinced that there's nothing there or there's something different going on. So if we all have something inside of us that is, is an element of faith, what if we take that something and put that faith in a belief in God, in belief in Jesus, belief that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, belief that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and is good and is a rewarder. What if we do that? But what if we don't have very much faith or we say, oh, that's that's too big a leap for me? The Bible says that we only need a very, very, very small amount of faith. Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, 
You will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds that there is. Jesus was not suggesting for one minute that if you're a Christian you can go moving mountains from one place to another. He was not speaking literally. That would be really messy, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if we all had the ability to, oh, I fancy the Clent Hills a few miles to the left today. I can believe it so I can make that happen. But what Jesus is saying, he's, he's picking something out that is one of the smallest things that these people would have been aware of. Because obviously you've got to remember, we might say, if you've got faith the size of an atom, because we're aware of things on a more microscopic scale. But in Jesus' day, a mustard seed was probably the smallest thing that people were really aware of. And then he's comparing it to something as big as a mountain. He's saying you only need something as small as that to change something as big as that. So if you say, well, I don't have very much faith, my faith is really, really small, that's okay, because you still have faith if placed in God and in Jesus Christ, that can make big things happen. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, Mark records that uh, an incident where a father brings his child to Jesus for healing. And Jesus said to the, the dad, he said, if you believe, all things are possible. And the father said, in tears, I believe, help my unbelief. So what he's kind of saying is, yes, Jesus, I believe. I brought my child to you because I believe that you can do something. I mean, that's an act of faith. A prayer is an act of faith. You know, even if you've got doubts, it's still an act of faith that you come to God, you're believing that he exists. But actually, Jesus was okay with the fact that he said, I'm struggling a little bit, you know, help my, help my unbelief. I believe, I really do believe, but there's, there's an element in me that's a little bit, will you help me with that element of unbelief? And Jesus heals the child. And that's an amazing thing. We only need a small amount of faith and we can ask God for help. We can be honest with God and say, okay, God, I, I believe I'm coming to you. I'm struggling a bit, if I'm honest. Help me with that. But actually, I believe. So what does faith do? Back to Hebrews 11, if you want to read the whole of Hebrews 11. It's an account of lots of different people throughout history right back to, to the dawn of time, right through, and what the things that they did when they put faith in God. And it mentions lots and lots of them by name, by faith, so-and-so did such and such, by faith, somebody else did this. And in verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. If you know the story of Moses, perhaps you don't. Let's, let's just recap that a little bit. We've talked before about the story of Joseph. How, and I'm sure you all know the musical anyway. How Joseph and his family end up in Egypt working with Pharaoh to, stop, to help with the famine. Of course... 
Joseph's children had children who had children who had children who had children who had children and a few generations on there is a lot of people in Egypt who are Israelites. And the Pharaoh who was friends with Joseph has died and moved on and we've got a new Pharaoh and he's not happy and so he puts the children of Israel into slavery. And he's trying to think, how can I get rid of these? How can I stop these people breeding? And so they decide that they are going to kill the children when they're born. And so Moses' mum, that's hard to say, Moses' mum, <laughs> she has a baby. And it says that she saw that he was a beautiful child, which seems a bit of a weird thing to say. Has anyone ever had a baby and gone, gosh, that's ugly? <laughs> you should never say that out loud, even if you think it in your head, by the way. No, all babies, they're all cute, they're all beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, we've got a new one, Izzy, and she's beautiful. And, yeah, but what does it actually mean? Back in that culture, in that day, of course, infant mortality would have been extremely high. And a lot of children born would have been not in great condition a lot would have died so what they meant was they saw here we have a healthy child a child who's going to make it a child who could live a good life here in this baby and they had faith in god that god could do whatever god could do that you know their faith and their trust and their courage was in god and so they put this baby because obviously they hid him for a bit, but you can't hide a child for long, can you? Mm -hmm. They soon start getting everywhere and things have to be moved and the house up three foot higher and all the rest of it. You can't do that. And so they, they put this baby in a basket and they put the basket in the side of the, of the river by where the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, is going to come because a princess is not going to be able to refuse a, a beautiful baby or their cute baby. And so this is how Moses survives. But it was an act of faith by his parents. And it says this crucially in this verse 23. They saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. The king had said he was going to kill babies. They were not afraid. And faith removes the fear of man. They knew God was in control. They believed God was a rewarder. And they were not afraid. And you know the fear of man, have you ever, you know, worried about what people think or be afraid of what other people say or what other people might do to you? Faith in God removes the fear of man because our faith is in him and our trust is in him to bring about his plans and his purposes for our lives. We don't have to worry what people might do, do to us or say to us or say about us because faith in God removes the fear of man. But what it does, it replaces the fear of man with the fear of God. And when we talk about fear of God, we're not talking about we can't approach God because we're, we're afraid, you know. I know we've heard a lot, haven't we, this week about people recalling their stories of meeting the Queen and how they were nervous and they were anxious. And I'm sure I would have been terrified if that had ever happened to me. But we can approach God boldly we don't have to have but when we're talking about the fear of God we're talking about that reverence that sense of he is almighty he is the ultimate majesty and we have that fear it's a sort of an awe of God and, and a sense that we want to put him first because what he thinks and what he does is the most important thing 
And going on in the story of, of Moses, but that's recounted in, in Hebrews, and he's talking about Moses, he says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses, he was brought up as a prince. You've probably seen the film, The Prince of Egypt. He was that, that person who was brought up in the king's house because of being found in the bulrushes by the daughter. But he knew who he was. And he knew what was really important. And because he, it says he saw him who was invisible. That's a bit like, how can you see something that's invisible? He would have this awareness, even though he couldn't see God, and even though he was in that place, he had this awareness of God who was invisible. And rather than being afraid of the king, he endured what he did because he knew God who was invisible. And he knew that was more important. He knew he was a stranger in a foreign land. Faith also gives us the ability to see the bigger picture of life. It's funny, isn't it, when, going back to the phone, when you, if you use a phone to find directions, you can only see about two or three square inches of screen. And that can be really helpful, but it doesn't really help you to get the big picture. And when um, I first, no, the church I was minister at before I came here, I was an assistant pastor at Redditch Union Church. And when I first went to Redditch in 2017, I, I've not really been to Redditch much before. And if any of you have ever been to Redditch, it's the most confusing place to drive around you've ever been. It's full of traffic islands that all look the same as one another, joined together by dual carriageways, which all look the same as each other. And so I was using the sat-nav all the time to get from A to B, and the church oversaw a couple of charity shops, and the one day I went to get to the one, and I couldn't get there. I almost gave up. I was like, everywhere I went, out the sand, I've kept saying, do this, I'm like, this isn't the right way. It was, it's just a nightmare. And what I was finding as well is there's more than one way of getting to all the different places in Redditch. <laughs> so the sat nav one day would decide, this is the quickest, I'll send you that way. But then on another day, that way was the quickest, so send that way. So I wasn't even learning how to get there. And then one of, I was expressing these frustrations to one of the older ladies in the church, and she said, I've got something for you. And I said, what? And she gave me a map. <laughs> that I unfolded and all of a sudden I could see where the places fitted together. I'd seen all these little bits and very useful, satnals very useful, but suddenly I could see where things were in relation to where the church was and where they were in relation to each other. It was really helpful. And faith is almost like that, giving yourself a map of the bigger picture because we only see this little bit of our life you know, and our lives might go on quite a long time, but it's still, you know, we only see that. We don't see the big picture. Sometimes people like to uh, look at their ancestry and say, where have I come from? Who were my ancestors? And, you know, because we have that sort of sense of trying to get a bigger picture, but and we don't know the future. You know, one day we will be someone's ancestors, you know, on ancestry or whatever. But, you know, we, we don't see that, that bigger picture. And, I just want to carry on reading a little bit in Hebrews um, towards the end of this chapter. This is what it says. It's described lots of different people and their faith. And then from verse 32 it says, What more shall I say? 
For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, ordained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the, arm, the armies of aliens. Women received their dead raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise God had provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I just want to read that last verse. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Mm. What? That's a bit odd, isn't it? What happened there? Why? But you've got to see the big picture. All of those people mentioned came before Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Jesus, that God can't save people in the, in the Old Testament. We're not going to go there. That's way too complicated to talk about. But the point is this. Their lives were all fitting into the picture leading towards Jesus. They were all part of that journey towards the Messiah coming. But the Messiah came after their time on earth. That's what I'm trying to say. You know? And our lives will be leading towards other things happening in the future that we will never see because they'll happen after our time has, has gone on. And if we're not aware of that, if we don't see that eternal picture, that eternal perspective, you know, we can get very, very small-minded, very small, very insular. I know there's, there's prayers that I pray, and sometimes I feel like God is saying to me, what if I don't answer that prayer till after you've gone? And I'm like, but I want you to answer it now, please, please. But God might answer that prayer after I'm gone. And that's okay because that's the big picture we all fit into. Are you getting what I'm, I'm trying to portray there? It's a bigger picture. So faith, it gives us the ability to please God. It removes the fear of man. It gives us the fear of God. It gives us that ability to see something bigger and beyond just ourselves. And it is faith in God that is important, not faith on its own. A, a few years ago now, there was a bit of a move to sort of, you know, whatever you believe, if you believe hard enough to get something from God, then God will give it to you. And there was a bit of a thing where people were like, you know, well, I would really like a yellow mini or something, car or whatever. So it's not just saying, God, I, I want a car, I want that specific, you know, and it was like, a, if I believe it hard enough, if I have enough faith, you know, then I'm going to suddenly find there's a mini on my drive. Not good. You see, faith is not about us trying to get God to do things our way. If you're, build, if you're trying to build your faith by 
getting God to say yes to your prayers, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with praying and, and wanting God to answer prayer. But if the measure of our faith is just built on God answering our prayers, then our faith is being built not by God expanding our faith inside, but our faith is being built by us getting God to do things the way we want him to. And actually, we work for him, he doesn't work for us. We serve him and his purposes. So there's nothing wrong, obviously, in praying but we've just got to be careful because the other problem is if, if we only build our faith by, well, God's done this and God's done that for me and God answered that prayer, what happens when God doesn't answer your prayer or he says no? You know, I've known people who've lost faith because they've prayed for God to do something and God hasn't done it. And so their faith has got smaller. And our faith, you see, faith grows in times of difficulty sometimes, in seasons of difficulty. We see it in, in the natural world, don't we, with, with trees, you know. They have to get down with their roots nice and deep. And sometimes that happens because the surface is dry. But if they don't do that, then when the wind comes, they fall over, don't they? Mm. You know? And we have to have these times sometimes when things are difficult and when things struggle, so that we then grow our roots down deep. That is faith. The difficulties. If you read the, the stories, the accounts in this Hebrews 11, there are so many people who went through incredibly difficult times. Their faith wasn't built on God did things the way I wanted him to. Their faith wasn't built on God did this, that or the other for me. Their faith was built on who God was and how God sustained them through those times. And God wants us to bring our request to him, don't mishear that you know and God sometimes in his grace and his mercy he does things in answer to our prayers and the more we know him the more we get tuned to what his will and purpose is and then we pray in that way and we see God answer our prayers more but our faith has to be built on who he is and placed in him not on what we think he does for us how would we feel if our kids didn't trust us and didn't believe that we had their best interests at heart. If you've got kids, you'd be quite upset, wouldn't you, if your child didn't trust you or, you know, thought that you were not after their own best interests. I think our faith is a blessing to God. And in fact, that takes us back to the beginning, doesn't it, where we read faith, without faith it's impossible to please him. We want to please God by taking that faith. And life in some ways is easier when we have that confidence that God is good and God is in control. Remember at the beginning I mentioned how complex the world is and, and even this week how amazingly fast so much has changed in our country. Mm -hmm. you know, last week we were Queen Elizabeth II and, you know, and Boris Johnson and now we're Charles III and I'm actually quite pleased that we're now Carolians not Elizabethans because I was a bit worried we were going to be Charlies <laughs> so I was quite pleased to hear that that's the, the name of the new era but what immense change has happened in a week but faith is saying you know what God you're in control you're in control so I want to challenge you this morning as we kind of come to a close have you put your faith in Jesus I'm guessing most, maybe everybody has. 
well, maybe there's someone today here who hasn't, who said, well, actually, I didn't think I had any faith, but actually, maybe I do have a little bit, and now I know I only need a tiny, tiny bit. I'm going to today, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to put that faith and say, God, I'm going to put that faith in you. Mm-hmm. I believe that you exist and that you reward those who seek you and I want to please you. And if you have already done that, where is your faith today? Do you believe still that God is good? Mm. Do you believe that God will work out all things for your good, even if it doesn't seem like it right this minute? The problem is, you see, if we don't believe that, we tend to try and take things back into our own hands. Maybe that's just me. Okay, God, I'll, I'll take that back. Mm. I'll, I'll, have, I'll, you know, I'll worry about that for you, God. Let me worry about that one. No. We can't do a better job. He does the best job. Does your faith need strengthening today? Be encouraged. If you think, oh, my faith is so small, that's okay. And if you have some doubts, say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And if your faith is strong, rejoice in that. Because that's a really good thing. God is good. He is our rewarder if we earnestly seek him. That is a good thing. We have that hope as an anchor for our souls, even in times that are really, really complicated. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing the song, final song together that says, In Christ Alone, our hope is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great gift of faith that you have put in some form or other in each one of us. This is how we operate our lives. And Father, I pray today that if there's anyone here who has never put that faith in you, that today they will put that faith in you. They will say, God, I believe you exist and I acknowledge that you reward those who seek you. And I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today. And for those who perhaps feel that their faith is, is weak or their faith is small, Father, we believe, help us with our unbelief. But God, please, we take those mustard seeds of faith today, tiny, tiny seeds of faith, and we place them in you. You are in control. You are good. It's in you that we put our hope and our faith and our trust. And we thank you we can do that. So many people in this world don't know that or don't do that. But we put our faith in you who is in total control of our lives. Help us to see a little glimpse of the bigger picture, God, and where we fit in today. We thank you, God, for faith. We thank you. Grow our faith, we pray. Make us faithful people. People who are just fully sold out and fully faithful and trusting in you and in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand if you're